Welcome to the Broken Metatarsal. My name's Rich Williams and here begins Series 3 of our podcast from Planet Football where we celebrate everything that Naughty's football had to offer. Joining me today, just one of my regular TBM cohorts, uh, Mark Holmes is here with us as well. Holmesy, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Delighted to be back. Is there a reason why uh, you're recording this? Obviously, this is uh, over Zoom at the moment with, with the curtains closed and some sort of mood lighting going on? It's just the way I like to talk to you, Richard. I do it even when we're just on the normal <laughs> phone calls. Just set the atmosphere. It just really, really gets me into the mood for a chat with you. You've really set the scene there for everyone. Now, this series, we will be chewing the naughty's fat on uh, with, uh, with the likes of Planet Football editor Rob Conlon and uh, our European footy expert Pete Farris, who've been part of the first couple of series. But there is a reason for it being just me and Mark at the moment, and that's because uh, this is our first ever player special I, I was expecting some sort of woo or something from you there <laughs> sorry, sorry, I, thought, I was expecting music i thought you no, I, <laughs> I was expecting dramatic music not, not no myth. the music comes in later this was sorry. just a oh one of those <laughs> like a kind of panto style unbelievable okay. honestly oh yeah i was i was hoping for less camp but you know whatever whatever suits you so it's all good now this episode this episode is brought to you by our friends at football index the football stock market where you can buy and sell players for real money sign up today at footballindex.co.uk and take advantage of their seven day 500 pound money back guarantee t's and c's available online and if you get a moment check out begambleaware.co uk now before we get into today's player special it's worth saying that we had a little bit of a break uh, people will be aware probably of a pandemic uh, that's been happening across the world at the moment which uh, which caused a small break in between series two and series three didn't it yeah that was march wasn't it i think and we're now in november just starting series three you might think oh, they've probably got really ahead of themselves and they've got the full pod the full series three all done and dusted we haven't we've got one done as we speak now and this is today's. Thanks, by the way, for, for everyone who's emailed and asked about the podcast. Now we're going to be coming back. Contact at planetfootball.com. Uh, we, were, we were very touched uh, that you did that. And yes, we are back. And one of the things we wanted to do is these player specials. And to, to launch, uh, we have Martin Larson coming up. Yeah, really excited about this one because we actually plan to speak to Martin for Series 2. Um, for an episode just about Villa, which would have been great. And then we started thinking about Series 3, wanting to do something a little bit different. And the more we looked into Martin's career, the more we realised there's some fantastic stories beyond the time at Villa, which is great in, in itself. And it could have been a, a podcast by itself. Um, the David O'Leary years is interesting. Martin O'Neill, which was obviously a great era of Villa. But um, going back to his time in Italy is just a couple of really fantastic stories. So uh, I think it's a great one today. His time at Verona, he was involved in, I don't even know how to describe without ruining what he's going to say, but this playoff with Regina, which is still talked about to this day, which I did not know much about until we spoke to Martin. I think all you've got to say to, to Salah is that it involved um, fans with crowbars outside the dressing room with the players cowering for a couple of hours until these, this angry mob of Regina fans were uh, were, were sent packing. So uh, that alone is is pretty interesting, but there's all sorts of stuff around that that story that, that, that I also didn't know a lot about, and it was great to hear from them. And then, of course, he moved on to Parma, but only for a very short period of time before AC Milan because of this weird kind of transfer thing that they did in, the, in Italy back then where teams would own a part of a player, like a percentage of a player, not the full player. Well, it still happens now. We had a taste of it, didn't we, when Tevez came over here and, you know, these third-party owners and all that kind of thing. We've never really done that over here. Um, but, yeah, he, he was half-owned by Palmer. 
and then fully owned and then loaned out and then sold. And it's just bizarre. Um, and I think, you know, when you think of Serie A from a nostalgic point of view, you think of the 90s. But the first part of the noughties as well, it was still so, so strong. So it was great to speak to someone who, who was involved in that. And he was at Milan. What a Milan side he was a part of. So it was great to get an insight into that as well. Like I say, really, really good pod today. My favourite bit of speaking to Martin is to do with how his transfer from Parma to Milan came about, which I won't say too much about at the moment, but it does involve a, a copy of Gazzetta de la Sport, which uh, if those words don't make you think, oh, I want to listen to that, then I don't know what will. But look, he's a great guy, um, really, really good to speak to. And if at any point we sound like we're a little bit distracted, it's because quite frankly, we got lost in his beautiful eyes. <laughs> so here we go then. This is what happened when the broken metatarsal caught up with Naughty's legend, Martin Larson. First and foremost, Martin, welcome to the Broken Metatarsal and thanks for joining us from sunny Spain. It's uh, absolutely pissing it down here. It's good to have nice weather, yeah, definitely. You were obviously a great defender for a lot of reasons, but I don't think we've ever had a player on the Broken Metatarsal so far who's quite as good as heading the ball as you were. No, yeah, that was that was what I did. That was uh, what I was good at. And uh, when you when you're good at something and you're not so good at something else then you try to to hit the ball as much as you can and uh and i did that i tried to go for for the ball as much as i could you've got the record haven't you in the premier league for most clearances in the season yeah <laughs> i saw something like that yeah are there any other records you know of that you hold over is, is is that the main one are there are there others no but it was it was in uh it was in the danish uh a danish uh, newspaper as well uh, that i follow so i saw something like some incredible stats uh, for you know for the season that I had uh, my last season, uh, but uh, and then they did, then they talked about uh, how can it be like that? Has uh, has the football changed? Because it was it was too too much, you know. It was it was too many clearances actually. Uh, but I don't know. Perhaps the the football has changed. Uh, perhaps it's not not as much kick and rush anymore. It's uh, more. Man City way of doing it, uh, but still, it was uh, some good stats. Were you always a defender growing up, Martin? Because you know, if we talk about nature and nurture, wanting to get in and, and have the ball, it's built in you. Yeah, I, yeah, but uh, I wasn't a defender. I was I was only a defender when I became sixteen years old. Uh, before oh. that, I was I was more like a like a striker. They needed. Uh, a defender sometime uh, in a tournament in Holland uh, when I played for Silkeborg, my Danish team, and it uh, went out well. And and from from that moment on, I was I was a central defender. It was much better than being a striker. I was much better there, so it was it was fine. It was good. It's the same thing. Attack the ball, right? Attack the ball. Yeah. If you want to make a goal, if you want to clear the ball, it's it's not exactly the same technique. But uh, I've always wanted to put my, my head on the ball. That was where I was good. So that's, that's just been natural for me. So we've obviously got so much to talk to you about. Your, your time over in England with Aston Villa, your time in Italy, that amazing AC Milan team, of course, and, and lots before that. But before we get onto any of that, uh, I can't miss the opportunity. Right, as a Leeds United fan who cried in the back seat of a car in 1996 on the way home from Wembley after Aston Villa uh, had beaten Leeds oh, 3-0. In, no, it's happening. It's happening in the League Cup final. Okay, I, I've been scarred with that for years. And we are recording this not long after Leeds have just gone to Villa Park in the Premier League and beaten your lot 3-0. Oh, so, yeah, sorry, I, just thought, I just thought I'd mention it, that's all. 
Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> if we're in the mood um, for bringing things up, Martin, there's a little running joke on this podcast about my love for one particular player. Um, Here we I'll go. Say, I'll say, <laughs> I'm sorry. Here he comes. I'm sorry in advance, but I'll say his name and just, just see if anything springs to mind. Might not be the fondest of memories for you, but Ricardo Fuller. Yeah, Stoke. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that goal he scored? You scored in the same game, actually, in the 3-2. I did, yeah. I've I've seen it again after, and um, honestly, I I don't know I don't know what I sh- what I should have, should have done you know otherwise you know I think he made an incredible move and uh, it was just uh, just a great goal. But as a defender, I mean, you look a bit stupid. But uh, at the end of the day, I think I think the goal and what he did was uh, was just perfect. Well said. <laughs> I've told you before, Mark, we, we are terrible at warming guests up. I, I've mentioned Leeds. You've mentioned Ricardo Fuller's goal, which, uh, on, Martin, he goes on about the whole time. I am, I am genuinely apologetic to you. My, my, my confidence is fine. So just. I purposely no didn't shave, so I thought I might remind you of, of Ola uh, next, yeah. next to you at centre. <laughs> yeah. He so still looks like that. that. I've got the pair of you on my screen here. And Martin looks like a centre-half and Mark, like, less so. <laughs> I would probably say. Look, we've, got, we've got a whole podcast dedicated to the decade of the glorious 2000s, the noughties. We passionately believe it was the best decade of football and you were a big part of that. So how good was playing in the Premier League in the noughties? In the noughties? What, what does that mean? Like the, the 2000s, you know, 2000 to 2010. Oof, I've never thought about uh, that being better than, uh, than, than now. I think that now, I mean, when I look at the football players now, they are they're really strong and uh, athletic. Uh, you know, they big, strong legs compared to when I played. I, I started to play in Italy in, the 90, in 98. And uh, then I finished in 2009 and... At that point, the uh, the football was was moving moving forward. It was uh, it was a better quality of football compared to before that. Uh, the money began to become come big. Uh, also in that in that period, now it's 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 much bigger again. But that was in that period I play. I don't know if it's better or worse than than now. I've never thought about that. You talk about moving from Italy to Denmark. That was obviously Serie B, but what was the difference in, I guess, standards, even at that level, and culture also? For me, it was very different. You know, I, I came from, uh, from Denmark, where I, I was a full-time pro in, in Denmark, uh, but it was, it was a shock for me to come to, to, elite, to Italy. It was, uh, it was very hard. Uh, the pre-season there, we, I, I remember I came there and the first thing we did was to go up in the mountains and uh, we had two sessions every day. In the morning, we just run uh, in the mountains and then we, we had a ball with us in the afternoon and we had the same thing to eat every day and three weeks up in the mountains uh, and it was so, so hard and I wasn't, I wasn't used to that. But I was just 20 years old and I came from Denmark. I, I went out from school one year before that and uh, playing some football in, in Denmark. Uh, and then I came to Italy. I couldn't speak the language and, and the way I had to train and everything was, was very hard. Uh, so it was, it was a tough start, but, but I learned a lot, of, a lot from that. Uh, but it was a tough start. Did you say you had the same meal every day? Oof, I remember I had, I had salad and chicken every day for for three weeks it was crazy but that was that was how it was like of all the meals to have in italy i would have thought, I would have thought you got like a lasagna or something 
that came after when we when we went down <laughs> from the mountains i had a pizza <laughs> okay. One of the things we wanted to talk to you about, Martin, was sadly, I guess, the injuries you faced in your career. I had one in your very first season in Verona. Was that the, the first time you'd had a problem with your knee? It was, and uh, that was um, like it came. It came after two or three weeks um, up in the mountains. Um, I don't know if the training was too hard for me that my body wasn't used for that kind of training. Uh, but I had my I had my first knee injury problem up in the mountains, and um, I had a small operation done on that uh, in Rome, um, and I was out for most of the season. I I think I only played the last six or seven games of uh, of that season, and then I had another knee injury that I had to take care of uh, during the summer period. But then, after one year and a half in Italy, I I started uh, playing, and I didn't feel anything. With my knee, and I played. I played all the games, and then my three years at Milan, I didn't have. I didn't have any problems with my knee uh, at all. But uh, yes, it uh, it started out in Verona. What's that like as a you know young guy in a new country, being out for that length of time? It must be really hard. It was very very hard, very uh, tough. Um, I was I was obviously sad because I I couldn't I couldn't play. I couldn't speak to anyone. Uh, the manager didn't speak English, and uh, there was only one guy in the whole team, the whole squad, that could a little bit of English. Uh, so it was it was hard, and I was I was close to to go home. I, I knew that it was a great opportunity for me. It was uh, something great that I could go from Denmark to Italy. And I obviously uh, talked a lot with my parents at home, and uh, they could feel that I was. I was uh, sad about the situation, but my dad never, never said to me, uh, "Drop it, Martin. Just, just come, just come home." He, uh, he never mentioned that, and uh, I'm glad for that that day because I think that if if he had started, you know, uh, saying that Martin, uh, okay, let's let's leave it. You can you can come home. I know you miss your parents and friends and everything then i think that perhaps that w- that would have pushed me in in that direction but but lucky lucky that he didn't he didn't say anything because after that tough year i started to to speak italian i went to a school and i learned italian and uh, obviously i got that injury uh, that i had to take care of in the summer period but but i started to feel better in uh, in Italy and um, and also the, the 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 last games of the first season that, that I had, I could see that I had the level to uh, to become a success in uh, in in Italy. I was I was uh, I was good enough. I could feel that when I played, uh, and that gave me some some confidence to keep going. So you eventually end up in Serie A now, as. Fans over here in England, we find this Italian way of doing transfers a little bit interesting, I guess. So Palmer signed half of your registration rights. Yeah, that's right. A year later, they signed the other half. And then three <laughs> weeks later, he loaned you out to Milan. What, what happened when they signed half of your rights? I mean, what sort of conversations do you have there? Yeah, uh, that's, 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 I don't know if it's still like that in, in Italy, but you could do that uh, in my time. Parma, were, uh, which was a, a very good team, they played in the Champions League and everything, they... They saw something in me, but they thought that I wasn't good enough to come to them straight away. It was better for me to play one more season at Verona. They agree a fee 
uh, for the fifty percent, and then after a year they uh, they agree uh, another fee. And if they can't find a solution, then then there's some kind of uh, paper thing there where they write what they would want to pay for the last fifty percent. But Palmer wanted to uh, to 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 sign me completely. They've seen enough uh, after my last year in Verona, and uh, they they bought the last part of um, of me. And that's just a, that's just a strange sentence in itself, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but that's how it is in 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 football. I mean, they they buy they buy what I can do, and uh, and they bought one hundred percent. But okay, I started in 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 Parma, and I was very very happy for that because it was a, it was a big team at that point. But uh, they they changed the manager uh, during the season, and this manager didn't didn't like me, and uh, he didn't didn't think that I could play in a in a in a defense of three. And he bought a French French player. So after three weeks, they, they came to me and um, and said that you're probably not going to play. I think you should try and see if you can go to another team. And I was very sad about that uh, because I've just joined a, a big team. That was my big big dream come true. I I went to bed uh, and woke up and uh, I read the. Um, the red uh, newspaper in Italy called La Cassetta dello Sport in the morning when I had my breakfast and and it said uh, that Milan wanted was looking for a defender and I, then I rang my my agent and I said to him the situation that Palmer wanted me to go if it was possible and um, I've just read here that uh, that AC Milan uh, they are looking for a defender so your job now as an agent is to find me a new club and you could perhaps try and contact AC Milan. And he did that. And um, I think uh, some days after, a week after something like, like that, I was, uh, I, was, I was playing for AC Milan. So it's, it was pre- pretty quick. And I was happy for that. AC Milan was an even, even bigger, bigger squad. So it was, it was fine. That is, that's an incredible turn of events. I find it bizarre that you were involved by seeing it in the paper, then you mention it to your agent, and from one minute you've gone from Palmer, you've kind of upgraded yourself to AC Milan. Yeah, and they, I, I know from, from Palmer that uh, they, they regret it uh, a lot because what happened was that I, my first two games at San Siro, uh, I scored, and I played really well uh, from the beginning, and... Um, and uh, this French player didn't play well, so I know from from my agent that Palmer was very sad about what they did. We were a little bit buzzing. I mean, obviously, you're on your way out. They bring in a new defender, and it didn't work out for them. No, uh, for me, it was... Uh, I know, and I never thought about it like that. I was just happy for me. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I thought that they were wrong, uh, because what we did uh, with Palmer was also like I did with Verona, just to go up in the mountains and uh, and run. I don't even played a, a match, you know, before they said that I wasn't uh, good enough or whatever they said, that I should try and find an, uh, another team. So so I think they didn't give me enough time. And, uh, and obviously, when I was playing well in the beginning of my Milan uh, period, they were not happy about what, what they did. Martin, we'll head back to other bits of your time in Italy at some point, including the, we need to speak about the amazing relegation playoff experience. But you've mentioned a few things. Firstly, your knee, which of course would be a problem for you, especially towards the end of your career. But you also uh, weren't the manager's choice at Palmer, but there is another manager as well, David O'Leary. Uh, and it's, it's similar there. Your relationship 
uh, isn't great. And that links in with the bad knee as well, doesn't it? Yes, because what, what happened when I came to Aston Villa after, like I said, after I had uh, four years and a half without any problems at all with my knee, came to Aston Villa and I started doing some very heavy squats and my knee couldn't, couldn't, couldn't do that. Uh, they couldn't, I couldn't manage to, to do uh, all these heavy squats that, uh, that he wanted me to do, David O'Leary. And um, it, was, it was a little bit old fashion to do uh, leg strength and exercises in that way but but for for some players it was it was okay but for for me with with a weak knee it wasn't good and it turned out to be very bad uh, and i got a lot of problems um after that more or less three seasons i was i was gone i was away from from football after i started with aston villa What's it actually like, truthfully, working with a manager, you know, David O'Leary in this case, when you just, you, you don't like him, you don't see eye to eye? Oh, uh, it was a nightmare with him because uh, he just wanted to, to squeeze the lemon, wanted to use me and then just throw me away. After the first season at Aston Villa, um, I had problems and I did a lot of the preseason and I was fine for the first game. I played the first game of the season in my second season. But I had problems uh, after that as well, and um, and I couldn't even train without taking um, uh, painkillers. And um, you know, I heard from a lot, and I read a lot, uh, and everyone said to me that taking a painkiller for the match is okay. But you you should understand. They told me, and I read that that if you have to take painkillers during the week to train, it's bad. He couldn't accept that. He wanted me to continue and um, to play, and that would have ruined my my knee and my career. And um, but but lucky lucky enough, I was I was not 19 years old. I was in my mid 20s or even even a bit older than that, and uh, experienced and and I could say I could say no to that. But I was not happy with with him, obviously, because he he only thinks thought about he only thought about himself he only thought about that i was good to have in the squad uh, for for some months so no he was not he was not good he was much better with martin o'neill he understood my situation much better we spoke about moving from denmark to italy what was it like arriving at villa where some of the players were great and went on to form the basis of that great team under martin o'neill but a few weren't you know they were hangovers from the 90s team and perhaps weren't as professional um, there's a lot of British. There's a lot of British players working. See yourself and, and, and Olaf Malberg. What was that dressing room like? The dressing room room was good, and uh, that was what I what I wanted to to have uh, when I came to to England. Uh, uh, I spent six years in in Italy, and I was uh, pretty pretty tired of uh, of Italy. I didn't play. Uh, as much as I wanted the last two seasons I had at uh, at AC Milan, so so I just wanted to go to Premier League. I I knew that I was I was good for Premier League because of the way I play football. So I wanted to try Premier League. So I had some conversations with uh, some different teams, and um, I chose uh, Aston Villa because um, the impression I had of the stadium, uh, Aston Villa's history. Played really well. Uh, they ended up uh, really high uh, the season uh, before I came to Aston Villa. So 
I thought it was it was great to to come to Aston Villa. Uh, had a good impression of uh, David O'Leary uh, in the beginning as well before I started to work with him. So everything everything was good. Didn't know the players. Uh, Thomas Sorensen, obviously, I spoke to him. He was as uh, at Aston Villa. He he talked, you know. Good about Aston Villa, and um, I, I was just looking forward to go to to England and and the Premier League and and to play there. And uh, it was it was it was good for me. I, I enjoyed uh, from the beginning. Obviously, it was it was hard with the injuries, but I I could feel straight away that England as a country, the culture, the mentality, the football, everything was better for me there than than in Italy. It was good in Italy. I learned a lot tactically, technically. But I had to move on uh, because my my strength as a footballer was more in in England. I don't know about you, Martin, but but when I think of the beautiful cities, culture, architecturally, I always think of Milan, and and then just straight below that on the list uh, usually comes Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> no, Birmingham, Birmingham was fine. I was I, I didn't I didn't care what if, if if it was Birmingham or London or whatever i just wanted uh, aston villa as a club for me it, it didn't matter uh, in what what uh, city it was uh, i was i was there to play football and that was the most important thing for me you sort of became a, a bit of a cult figure at villa which must make you feel really proud yeah of course i mean i mean that that's that's because i i i played well i gave everything uh, and that was that was my my strength as a footballer i, I I've never been good with the ball. Uh, I've learned a lot, you know, in, 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 in Italy and with the Danish national team, Morten Olsen as I had as national team coach, but, but I've, never been a, I've never been a good footballer. Uh, I, I had, I had uh, other, other things that I was good at. And in England, uh, people appreciate that. You know, I, I fought and I put my head uh, on everything. Uh, and that was the way I, I played. And it was appreciated in 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 England, um, and I knew very soon that I should I should do the things w- that I'm good at, and and not do the things that I'm not so good at uh, so much, you know. And that was also a strength I had as a as a footballer that I knew I knew what I was good at, and tried to do that more than you know the things that I was not good at. Now, before Martin, we talk about. I guess the best time of your of your career at Villa with with Martin O'Neill. I have to ask you about the end of your time at Verona, that relegation playoff against Regina, because you'd scored the winner in the home game, and then you have to go to to the away game. Now their fans are pretty scary, right? Yeah. T- tell us about that experience. It's, it's south of Italy. They are crazy down there, and obviously it was a very important game to stay up in the Serie A. So when uh, we lost two one. Uh, that that match, but uh, obviously we scored an away goal, so we we stayed up. And uh, the fans and the the people around the Regina team was just uh, very disappointed and respectless. I mean, they the the the, the thing is the, the the thing the big problem in in Italy they, is that they they don't respect uh, they don't have so much respect in Italy as as in England and uh, the culture and the mentality is is wrong in many ways uh, so they they think that I that they could uh, throw stones at us that they could spit at us and uh, whatever whatever they were doing uh, but at the end of the game uh, we just sat in in the dressing room for some hours and waiting for 
for the police to to get the people away and uh, and then we could we could uh, go in the bus and 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 in the plane and and go away but the mentality is a bit crazy down in 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 south of italy that's just the way it is i think it's it's the same thing uh, the day today you mentioned being locked in the dressing room there were guys outside with crowbars right trying to get in players fighting and punching in the dress in the tunnel <laughs> they were just disappointed i mean and uh, <laughs> mad at us because uh, because we won uh, or we didn't win but we stayed up and uh, yeah i re- i remember that i just uh, ran as as quick as i could to the dressing room and i know i know that some of the players were punched um, of of some some other people from the uh, regina I, nothing happened to me, but uh, I was just running as 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 much as I could towards the dressing room, and then I was just waiting. Uh, and like you said, there were some things happening with our president and some of the players, and just a uh, bad, bad, bad thing. You know, it's just um, not good behavior of of them, and that's that's it. Have you have you ever been back to Regina Martin? <laughs> Uh, I've, uh, I went. I went on a holiday there some years <laughs> after, but uh, no, it's not the best place to be. You're very much a braver man than me. Uh, staying in Italy, though, you you worked at AC Milan with some amazing players and with Carlo Ancelotti as well. You kind of look through that team and the squad of players, absolutely brilliant. It was a great era, and, and you got to be a part of that. Yeah, you're you're so right. I mean, the the squad during my three years there was incredible. We had national team players that couldn't even go on the bench. It was unbelievable. Uh, world class, class players uh, all all around, and it was it was uh, it was great to experience that. It was also hard, you know, because I, I didn't play a lot and um, I didn't have the respect uh, that I wanted from the other players because I didn't play that much and uh, I wanted to play, so I couldn't accept just to sit on the bench, sometimes not even on the bench. Uh, I was a regular of Denmark and I, I, I knew that I was, I was good. Uh, so I couldn't accept just to be at AC Milan. That was my problem. There were some players there that could just accept uh, to train and to be a part of, of that incredible uh, AC Milan team. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't good enough uh, for me, so it was it was hard for me to accept that. But you're you're completely right. It was uh, it was an unbelievable uh, team we had in that period of time. We won all, we won the Champions League and the Serie A and the European Cup and uh, World Cup uh, for club uh, whatever. I mean, we it was it was an unbelievable team and. Now, you know, so many years after, I, I'm proud, obviously, to have won the Champions League and all that. But at the moment I was there, I just wanted to, to go away. I wanted to, to find a place where I could play and, and feel important. What was Carlo Ancelotti like as a coach? Because he's got a real personality, hasn't he? He's known for that. What was he like to work with? He's obviously a very good uh, manager. I could see that, and he did really well for AC Milan, and has done that throughout his career. At the time, I was not happy with him. He didn't like me so much as as uh, centre half. It was great players. I was up against uh, Costa Curta, Roca Junior, Brazilian uh, Chamot, and Argentinian player. Then obviously Nesta and Maldini. So it was it was very. A very tough competition for me. What is a changing room like with that many massive... I mean, 
superstars like to be in? At the end of the day, they're just uh, they're just people like you and me. Uh, but obviously, they're world world class players and extremely good footballers. Sometimes the problem can be that they think they're better than than me and you uh, because they are so good footballers that their behavior is not as good as uh, as you know when as a as a footballer. The way the way they are as a person uh, sometimes. Uh, I saw some some problems there, but um, but at the end of the day, I was I was just uh, not happy in the in the dressing room. I was not I was not impressed by by being there. It was uh, it was just normal people like like you and me. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't something like that like that at all. There there were footballers like 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 me, um, and I saw them as as just some some footballers. But I just uh, I just didn't play enough, and I I was not happy in the dressing room. So that was that was it. You mentioned there there were already a lot of good players competing for your position. Then you went and signed Yap Stam. Was that kind of the final straw that you thought, okay, I've got to move on now? They they actually signed Yap Stam uh, after I heard something uh, about it when I, when I had to leave because I had a meeting with them. They wanted to keep me. They wanted to to give me a new five year deal. But but uh, but I said uh, I I've had enough. Uh, I thank you very much for for the offer, but I want to leave. It's not good enough. I'm not happy here. I want to play football. Uh, and they they understood that and um, and they gave me the permission to to leave. Um, but Yapstam was uh, was after me. He came after me. Now we've spoken, Martin, about a couple of managers that maybe weren't your favourites. How did things change? When Martin O'Neill came into the dressing room, for you personally, but also you know the squad and and the atmosphere around the club as a whole, some 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 players hated Martin O'Neill um, because of the way he he was managing. It was very old-fashioned, and his his way or the highway. Uh, you couldn't you couldn't say a lot to him. Uh, he was he was the one that that decided everything. But uh, if we just talk about my situation with him uh, that was incredibly good uh, because what he did with me was that he said to me um, the games the games are, are important uh, you know what you do from from Monday to Friday I won't say that I don't care but the the most important <laughs> thing is that that you are that you're available for for Saturday and that was great for me to hear, uh, because what Martin, what David O'Leary did was that he he said that I should be out to every training, whatever, whatever, you know. But Martin O'Neill said that you can train inside if you want Monday, Tuesday, uh, have Wednesday off, and then sometimes you play, uh, you train with us uh, Thursday. Otherwise, you just train with us Friday. It it, it, it depends how you feel, how your knee feels. He gave me a lot of, how do I say, things that I could do on my own, uh, and that was also because I was an experienced player. Uh, I didn't; it wasn't like I didn't do anything uh, inside. I had my I had my things to do, but he didn't push my my knee Monday to Friday like David O'Leary did, and that was that was just perfect for me because that that gave me the possibility to be 100% fit for for the weekend for the games and obviously i pl- i played well we found we we found a, a a great solution for my for for my knee problems 
Tell you what, if my boss told me I had uh, Monday to Friday off and just to make sure I'm ready for the game, I mean, I'd be playing snooker most of the week, to be, to be quite honest with you. I don't know how much I'd be doing. He trusted me. He could see that I was uh, a great professional, that I, that I only wanted to play well. Uh, I, won't, I only wanted to be available. Uh, that it was so important for me to be available. And uh, he, he saw that uh, and he trusted me. And that's, uh, that's, that's how it was. That was. It was great for me and it, it was also good for him because it was, uh, it was good for me. It was good for him to have me in the squad and I, I played well for him. So it was, uh, it was just a win-win situation. And in terms of the players, you mentioned that not everybody liked him. Obviously, he started to bring in his own players, Ashley Young, Stylian Petrov, John Carew. How quickly did you start to realise that, hang on, we, we can do something here? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was great because uh, Martin O'Neill had um, a way of playing football. He, uh, he, he brought in players because of the way he wanted to play football. He wanted to have a big striker. He wanted to have, like, Ashley Young at Bonlahor on, on the side. Young, creative players with a lot of speed. And then some experienced players at the back, like me and like myself and Olaf. And then we had, you know, James Milner, who was pretty young, but Gareth Barry, Stylian Petrov. It was a great mix of uh, talent and experienced players. And... And he brought in the right players and uh, spent a lot of money. And, um, and we were really, really a great team playing well. So it was, it was just um, fabulous to, to be a part of that. O'Neill strikes me as the kind of manager that, right, if you're a player and you've just lost a game and you're heading back into the changing room, like my head would be, I'd have my head down looking away from Martin O'Neill thinking, don't, don't look at me, don't look at me. What, what's he going to say? Yeah, and that was his strength because uh, uh, he couldn't accept anything else than, 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 than to win or at least get a point. When we lost, it was always uh, a big catastrophe. I mean, it, we had to watch uh, video uh, things that he had uh, prepared um, uh, the day after and uh, he was uh, obviously not happy. And, and that, was, that was his strength, you know, that we could really feel that Oh, we had to. We have to do one hundred percent because otherwise, we'll be in big trouble with him. So that was that was what he was good at. He was a winner, and everyone everyone could see that. And um, and um, us players, we gave we gave more because you know we could see that he he was a winner. You mentioned James Milner there. Now I wanted to ask you about him because I don't know if you know this, Martin, but he's got a reputation um, over here for being boring. And it's a, kind of, it's a joke because I think people begin to realise he's anything but boring. He's actually a really funny, funny bloke. What kind of character was he in the dressing room back then? No, he was a, he was a young player at that time, and uh, I, I admire James Milner and and Gareth Barry as well. Uh, I, I think I can take him uh, in that contest as well because they were just uh, great professionals. Uh, not uh, didn't say a lot. Uh, not uh, doing a lot outside the pitch, and but just doing doing their their things, you know. And um, and it was uh, it was it was just two great professionals, um, and they have they've had amazing careers, uh, you know. And uh, because of because of uh, the way they they go into football, the way they they train, the way they play matches, the way they live. No, no fancy, no nothing fancy at all. And uh, I was a bit the same. So I, I, I like you know, 
James Milner and, and Gareth Barry a lot for, for what they've done. You obviously were are loved by Villa fans. So can you just describe what it's like captaining a side where the fans love you and smashing in a header in front of the Holt end in Europe against Ajax? It is actually difficult to describe it. Uh, you must feel it yourself. I think you can get the, the sensation, you can think about how it would be to be a player and be there uh, in front of the whole then you can you can you can get you can imagine that a little bit from outside but it's nothing like when you are in 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 there uh, you know and uh, i was extremely proud of being the captain of aston villa um, you know the way they shouted my name uh, when i went up for corners free kicks uh, when i scored goals um, being the first man to enter, all the things that were said to me when I was playing, but also now when I hear from Aston Villa fans now, it's unbelievable so many years after. I'm still extremely proud, but I was extremely, extremely proud to play for Aston Villa, to be the captain. And I was so, so sad when I had to announce that I couldn't play anymore because I was playing so well and I was extremely happy there. And I was only 31, you know, almost 32. And... I would have loved to play three, four, five more seasons uh, at Aston Villa because um, I had a I had a, a, a relationship that it, you cannot imagine with uh, that with the club, with the fans, with with everyone. So it was a it was really sad for me to not be able to play anymore. But at the end of the day, that was how it was. You know, uh, I, I couldn't do anything about that. I can only think back on how proud I was to be there and experience, uh, you know, uh, to be able to be captain and and the games that I played. And um, lucky enough, I played I played well when I played. Uh, you can my my Aston Villa career. You can say it it was more or less like my whole career. That has been the problem that I've been too much injured. But when I played, I played well. It was very much quality, you know, when I played, but I would have loved to have to have had more quantity, like like perhaps Olaf Melberg. You know, he played 120 games for Sweden. He played so many games and and played well as well. I played well, definitely. I played well when I played, but but the problem was that I didn't play enough games. And that was that was what I can be a little bit sad about you know when I look back at my at my whole career and my whole Aston Villa time uh, I played well when I played but I would have loved to play more games Martin thank you so much there's going to be fans of football both now and then who will have, have loved hearing from you and if there are any Regina fans listening to this you can't you can't be angry at such a nice fella seriously you've got they've got to let it go uh, Martin thank you so much for your time here on the Broken Metatarsal it's a pleasure So there you go. That's what happened when the broken metatarsal caught up with the brilliant Martin Lawson, who just just seems like a nice fella. Yeah, what a guy. Anyone who can take me basically taking the piss out of him being done by Ricardo following that good humour quite early into the podcast as well is, uh, is a good man by me. Uh, you're going straight off to YouTube the goal again, obviously. That's that's how, how you roll. And we do need to work out a way to warm up guests in a slightly kinder way 
I think, than just both either taking out our grievances with them or reminding them of the one moment in their career where they weren't as good as the rest of it, Mark. I mean, seriously. That's the whole, you know, you don't know this. You might be starting to realise it's the whole point of this podcast for me is ask every player that we get on, how good is Ricardo Fuller? It's just like drip feeding into people's minds so that by the end of when we eventually finish this 10 series in or whatever, people are saying, do you know what? I think Ricardo Fuller might have been the best player in the 2000s. Holmes' idea of the broken metatarsal osmosis, uh, where you will all go away dreaming of Ricardo Fuller by the time. When that happens, when we get our first email at contact at planetfootball.com saying, Do you know what? I went to bed last night and I had a dream about Ricardo Fuller. That's when Holmesy will know that his work here yeah. has been done. Um, this episode was brought to you by our friends at Football Index, the football stock market where you can buy and sell players for real money. Uh, sign up today at footballindex.co.uk and take advantage of their seven-day £500 money-back guarantee. T's and C's available online. And if you get a moment, check out begambleaware.co.uk. Just imagine what Ricardo Fuller would have gone for in today's money in that market. (laughs) It's almost impossible to imagine. Uh, And just to mention as well, we were using some slightly different... This is so... This is so boring and geeky, but just to mention, uh, we were using some slightly different software um, this time around, which we won't be on the next one. It's a really boring story, other than to say, if there was the odd dropout, uh, apologies, we're all trying to... uh, um, what, what's the word? Not fondle our way through. That's totally the wrong word. Muddle our way through. This, oh God, this third series, you know, nine months on it, just really caught us by surprise. We didn't have yeah. to, to plan for it. Just really come from nowhere, really. So uh, apologies. I know. We're a little bit behind with the times. We're still on banana bread making. We're at that stage of the <laughs> pandemic at the moment. We haven't, we haven't quite moved on. Uh, but we will be back. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Contact at planetfootball.com and we will see you next time for the next episode of The Broken Metatarsal. 